Thank you for joining us online today. My name is Steve Polk. I'm executive pastor here at First Baptist Rock Hill. And I know that our pastor has prepared a great message for us today. Go ahead and grab your copy of God's Word and a notepad and a pen. And as he shares uh, the content he has for you today, I want you to be able to write down some notes, maybe even some questions that you can talk about with your family later today. So let's pray together as he comes. Lord, we thank you for your Word that is so relevant and timely for our lives today, for our pastor who prepares in such a way to bring those truths to us uh, that, that we can discuss, that we can better understand and apply to our lives. Help us see you in all that we do and to respond to the truth of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. What a joy listening to you sing to our Lord uh, this morning. And your praises... Like a sweet aroma rose to the Father and blessed his heart. There's nothing better than just worshiping and praising King Jesus. So glad you are here today. Do you have uh, good plans for Labor Day weekend? No? Do you? Monice and I, our plans involve keeping four grandkids between the ages of one and six. Uh... Sarah, our daughter-in-law, is still recuperating and limited in what she can do. And our son had a surgical procedure on Friday, so they can't lift or care for the kids. So we got them. And, and uh, they're a blast. But uh, we're also being reminded of why God gives little ones to young adults. <laughs> I've got parts of my body hurt I didn't know I had. Mom, thank you for continuing to pray for her. Mom did fall this week, hit her head, and had to be taken to the ER in the middle of the night for stitches. She's home, and well, not home. She's back in the facility, doing okay, some bruising. And uh, but but uh, keep praying for her. She struggles and adjusts to her new reality, and the family you know cares for her as best and best we can. You know, life life's not always easy, and you saw the title of the sermon, The Tears of a Sinful Nature, and, and, and people cry for a lot of different reasons. This week alone, we had two of our uh, senior adult members uh, go to be with Jesus, and uh, there'll be a funeral Tuesday and one Saturday, and so those loved ones have been crying, grieving. I never knew my dad's mom. She died when he was about first grade. And they buried her in the family cemetery on our farm. I was told my grandfather for the first year after her death, every morning before going to work in the coal mine, would visit the grave and spend time with her. He was grieving. He was lamenting. They say the, the father of gospel music is Thomas Dorsey, the son of a black Baptist preacher raised in Georgia who moved to Chicago when he was a teenager but didn't live for the Lord, didn't serve the Lord until he was in his late 20s. He finally got right with God and became very active, very dedicated. In fact, for 40 plus years, he led the choir and worship at his home church there in Chicago. Wrote over 200 gospel songs, the most famous of which is named Precious Lord Take my hand. You ever heard that song? When he was in his early 30s, his wife was pregnant with their first child. 
About one month before the due date, she went into labor, and during the delivery, she died. Later that evening, the baby also died, and he fell apart. Just deep grief, sorrow. Sometime later, he was with a friend and sat down at a piano and began playing with the keys, and from that came this song, Precious Lord, Take my hand, lead me on and let me stand. I'm tired, I'm weak, and I'm worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. That song is a lament. A lament is an expression of grief, of pain, of sorrow, of hurt, of fear, of anguish, and hope. Expressed in music or poetry, in prose, with words that are very powerful and very emotional. In your Bible, in the Old Testament, there's an entire book given to laments. To grief, to pain. It's the book of Lamentations between Jeremiah and Daniel. So go ahead and open your Bible there. You're going to be reading chapters 1 and 4 this week in the Bible reading plan. So today I want to preach from chapters 2 and 3 of Lamentations. Written by Jeremiah the prophet for himself and the people of Israel expressing their anguish. Their, their, their sorrow, their their despondency, if you will, following the destruction of Jerusalem and Judah by the Babylonian army. As Babylon burned the city, burned the temple, and carried thousands upon thousands of Jewish citizens away as slaves in exile to Babylon. And and he writes five poems, five laments, Each chapter in this book of Lamentations is one of those poems, one of those laments. And in very graphic language, he describes their suffering and his anguish. He speaks for himself. He speaks for the people. He speaks for the nation. And you and I can learn something. Look at how he describes their suffering in chapter 2. Let's just look at a few selected verses. Let me see your copy of God's Word written, electronic. Hold it up. Amen. Thank you for bringing God's word with you to church. Always do that. Chapter 2, verse 1. This poem begins, How the Lord has covered the daughter of Zion with a cloud of his anger. Rather than God covering Israel with love and grace and protection, he covers her with a cloud of his anger. He has cast from heaven to earth the glory of Israel. Uh, She's no longer a beautiful, glorious thing in the presence of God. Israel's now something disgusting. Look at verse 3. In fierce anger, he has cut off all the strength of Israel. She's she's weak. She's, she's, She's just defeated. There's no strength in her. He has drawn back his right hand from before the enemy. 
Rather than keeping his powerful hand there to protect Israel from the Babylonians, God just pulled it back and let Babylon have his way with the Jewish nation. Chapter 2, verse 5. The Lord has become like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. Can you imagine it being said that that God no longer views you as a loving son or a loving daughter? He views you now as his enemy? The end of verse 5. He's multiplied the daughter of Judah and the daughter of Judah mourning and moaning. The, 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 The women, the people of the nation, they weep and they moan. It's a lament. Verse 7, chapter 2, the Lord has rejected his altar. He has abandoned his sanctuary. God's no longer in the Holy of Holies. He's no longer in the temple. He's no longer in Jerusalem, as we saw a few weeks ago in the message from Ezekiel, where he had this vision of the glory of God gradually departing from there. And once God left and withdrew his hand of protection, the very temple itself was burned to the ground. By Babylonian soldiers. He has delivered in verse 7. Into the hand of the enemy. The walls of her palaces. The grandest houses. And Jerusalem are no more. They have made a noise. In the house of the Lord. As in the day of an appointed feast. When it was a celebration, a religious holiday in Israel, the Jews would come to Jerusalem at the temple. There would be singing and praise and celebration. Now instead of that, Babylonian soldiers tell jokes and laugh as they tear it down. It's a lament. Verses 10 and 11. The elders, the older leaders of the daughter of Zion, of the nation of Israel, sit on the ground and they are silent. Have you ever experienced something so dramatic, so powerful, so profound, so painful that you couldn't speak? They have thrown dust on their heads. They have girded themselves with sackcloth. Symbols in their culture of grief and mourning. Verse 11, Jeremiah speaking personally says, My eyes fail because of tears. My spirit is greatly troubled. My heart is poured out on the earth because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. He said, they're they're my people. Yes, I've been preaching to them. And I know it's their sin. Their sin for decades. Their sin for more than a century that brought this ruin on the nation. But they're still my people. And I weep. How would you feel if suddenly America was destroyed? The Capitol and the White House obliterated. Churches burned to the ground. Half the people you know and care about dead from war and famine and disease. Another quarter of the people you know carried away as slaves to a foreign country. And all your freedom is gone. All your liberty has vanished. How would you feel? 
See, sometimes we read the story of Jerusalem's fall in the Bible and we read it in history and we think, well, that's just something that happened way back then. But these are the people who experienced it. It's what they saw, what they felt. It's how you and I would feel. And so Jeremiah, this bold prophet, writes these five poems of lament expressing his pain and the pain of the people. Now Jeremiah made it clear. Ezekiel the prophet made it clear. 150 years before, Isaiah the prophet made it clear. Prophets for two centuries had made it clear that the nation of Israel needed to change. And if it didn't change, destruction was coming at the hand of God's judgment through the Babylonians. They wouldn't listen. They wouldn't obey. They wouldn't change. And eventually their sin fell upon their head. All of their idolatry, all of their immorality, all of their scoffing at the word of God, all of the syncretism, all of the lack of justice and caring for the poor. Finally, God said, that's it. Withdrew his hand, withdrew his glory, withdrew his presence, and judgment fell. So just a few things I want us to notice from this lament in chapters 2 and 3, these two poems. Their sin brought about their tears. Here's, Here's the first lesson. They lost their moral compass. That's what led to their sin. They, they lost their moral compass because they listened to the wrong voices. They listened to the wrong voices. Look at the lament in chapter 2, verse 14. Jeremiah said to the people, your prophets. He's not talking about the men of God, the prophets of God, the women of God who were prophetesses. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the fakes, the phonies, the false. Who said, we know better than God's prophets. We know better than God's word. We understand God better than all those who've taught God's truth for centuries. We know God better. Your prophets, Jeremiah said, have seen for you false and foolish visions. Their new truth, their better ways, their dreams, their visions, their ideologies that deny the truth of what God has always said, Those new visions are false and foolish, he says. And in the middle of verse 14, they have not exposed your iniquity, your sin. Let's not call it sin because it's not. They have seen for you these false preachers, these false philosophers, these false teachers, these false prophets. They have seen for you false and misleading oracles. And I think about America today. Which voices are we listening to? Think about some in this room. Some young people, some adults. Which voices are you listening to? For many in this room and for most outside this room, it's not the scripture. It's not God's word. 
It's not the preachers of God. It's not God himself. The number one voice most people in America listen to today is their own thoughts, their own feelings, their own emotions, their own wants. Not God, not scripture. You think about all the issues. I've been trying to get you to understand this this philosophical, this theological concept of syncretism for the last few weeks where you take a little of that religion and a little of that religion and a little of this philosophy and a little of that philosophy and your own thoughts and your own emotions and your own wants and your own ideas and you make your own philosophical, moral, religious stew and you call it God. That's what the Jewish people did, and it led to their destruction. It's false visions. It's misleading lies. The voices that talk about gender identity or sexual values, including homosexual behavior, the issue of abortion and a woman's right to control her own body, compared to the life of a child that is three weeks from being born. And do you understand that the only difference between a child that is born three weeks early and one that doesn't come three weeks early is geography? Because both are still dependent on someone else for survival. But we have new visions and new truth and God says it's a lie and it leads to death and judgment. Pornography. Conversation just this week with an elderly man struggling with a version of it. Modesty or the absence of it in anything public. We listen to musicians, entertainers, and celebrities. We listen to the voices of university professors and authors and so-called experts. We listen to the voices of social media influencers. We listen to the voice of talking heads on TV and the media. We listen to our own feelings and emotions and wants. And all those voices refusing to submit to the word of God, to the truth of God, mislead and lie and destroy. Kira Bell grew up very unhappy. Her parents, uh, her dad wasn't an American. Her mom was British. They divorced when she was five years old. She lived with her mom who in England ended up on welfare and became an alcoholic. Her dad, the American, stayed in England, but didn't have much to do with her, was distant from her. And so she grew up unhappy, depressed, and was, you know, we used to say she was a tomboy. And now if you're a tomboy, that means you want to be a boy. That's the new philosophy. And so when she was 14, she started identifying as a boy. When she was 15, doctors put her on puberty blockers and testosterone and And when she was 20, she had a double mastectomy, both breasts removed. But now, when she was 23, she had a change and she returned to identifying as a woman, as a girl, her biological sex at birth. But 
It's too late to undo all that's been done. It's the, the, the facial hair is permanent. The mastect, it's just too late to change all, to, to repair all the, the damage. Two or three years ago, I forget the exact date, she won a lawsuit in England against the doctors who allowed her to go down this path at such a young age because the court in England ruled that anyone 16 years old or younger is not of age to give informed consent to puberty blockers. I wish some people in America were that smart. Kira said... When she sought medical help, she thought the doctors and the therapists would be neutral. They'd really try to help her think things through, but they didn't. No one challenged her to think differently. All they did was affirm, yeah, you're a boy. She said, and this is a quote, when I was questioning my identity, there was nowhere to find support that didn't affirm the delusion of being in the wrong body. Everybody just affirmed. And so I remind you again of verse 14 in chapter 2 of Lamentations. Your prophets have seen for you false and foolish visions. The end of the verse. They have seen for you false and misleading oracles. When a nation loses its moral compass, it's because it listens to the wrong voices. Number two. When a nation loses its moral compass, everyone pays for it. Everyone suffers to some extent. Chapter 3, verse 1, the third poem of Lament, Jeremiah begins by saying, I am the man who has seen affliction because of the rod of his wrath. Jeremiah is saying, even though I was a prophet of God who obeyed God, I suffered. I saw all that happened. Jeremiah had to see friends die. He saw the city that he loved burned to the ground. He saw the temple obliterated. And for that 18 months when Babylonian soldiers surrounded the city of Jerusalem and besieged it and inside there was a lack of food and people starved to death, he felt the hunger pains. You may be innocent and righteous, but when hard times befall a nation, guess what? You do experience some of the hard times. Jeremiah because he wouldn't go along with the new visions and the new lies. He was put in jail. He suffered. If God judges America, those of us who are righteous will not be immune to some of the hardships. The righteous often share in some of the pain. We suffer when we see our children lied to and misled. We suffer when crime increases and we don't feel safe. We suffer when we see families torn apart. We suffer when our leaders are immoral and unwise. We suffer when some in education focus on indoctrination more than how to add and read and 
and do signs. We're not immune when a nation loses its way and listens to the wrong voices. We're not immune to some of the pain. Number three, when a nation loses its moral compass, God's people and God's truth are sometimes mocked and laughed at. In the third poem, chapter 3, verse 14, Jeremiah says, I have become a laughing stock to all my people. They're mocking song all the day. He said, they just make fun of me all the time. See, in America, they don't care if you call yourself Christian, Buddhist, Muslim, spiritual. I'm not a religious person. I'm a spiritual. They don't, they don't care so long as you don't contradict the new visions of the new prophets. If you go alone, call yourself anything. It's all right. But if you stand for the truth of what God says... Pressure will be brought to bear to get you to conform. And you will not be held up in some circles as the epitome of what is good and right. Because if they reject God's truth and you won't compromise, they have no choice but to reject you. Number four, when a nation loses its moral compass, those of us who know the Lord, what do we do? We stay true to him, our faithful Lord. That's what we do. We stay true to him and to his truth, no matter the mocking, no matter the false visions, we stay true to him as he stays true to us. In chapter 3, verses 22 and following, the Lord's loving kindnesses, plural, indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You know, that's, that's a, a well known and popular verse in Christian circles, but it's interesting that it's seldom read in context. Because this verse about God's love being new for you every single morning is in the context of Jeremiah lamenting the judgment of God that had befallen the nation of Israel. And yet he said, God, every morning I know you choose to love me. Every morning you choose to be faithful to me. And so Jeremiah responds in 24 by saying, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. When things are hopeless, we are not. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the person who seeks him, we're not alone. Even when you feel like it, you're not. We stay true. And then here's the last point. When a nation loses its moral compass and you fall prey to those false visions and you start down a 
sinful path of not listening to God. You start down a path of wrong decisions. You, you start down the path of false beliefs. You, you don't listen to God. You, you don't listen to scripture. You don't listen to truth. You sin. You do what's wrong. And then in time, as it will, your sin and your choices and your attitude come to rest on your head. Don't complain. And don't blame God. And don't blame other people because the one who did it was you. The middle of chapter 3, the longest of these poems in verses 39 and 40. Why should any living mortal or any man, why should any person, Jeremiah asked, offer complaint in view of his sins? I've been a pastor now 46 years. I've been preaching 48 years. I've seen a lot of people in church Wonder from God, stray, and make sinful choices. Do things they know they shouldn't do, and then life starts falling apart. Hard times come. The consequences come home to roost, and they say, God, why'd you do this to me? God, why'd you let this happen to me? And I say, God had nothing to do with it. You did it to yourself. And so Jeremiah says, when you go down the wrong path because you choose not to listen to the thus saith the Lord, you choose to do what you want and what you feel and you choose to follow the voices of the false prophets and the lies. Life doesn't work. And you're in a mess of your own making. He says, why should you complain and blame anybody? God didn't do it. You did it. And yet human nature wants to blame everybody, wants to blame God for our choices. What should we do when we've gone down the wrong path? Because all of us are susceptible to listening to the voices of culture, what should we do? He says in verse 40, let us examine and probe our ways and let us return to the Lord. Let us examine and probe our ways. Those two Hebrew words mean essentially the same thing. Have you ever gone to the doctor and he probed your body? Huh? Not always comfortable, is it? But sometimes some real probing has to take place if the disease is going to be identified and fixed. And what God is saying is when you're going down the wrong path because you're not listening to the voice of God, you better let the Holy Spirit of God, you better let the Word of God, you better let the truth of God do some probing in your mind, some probing in your heart, some probing in your attitude, some probing in your decisions, some probing in your life because you're not going to get well if you don't let God probe. 
Examine yourself. Put it to the test. Discover the truth because that's when you can come to the Lord. That's when you can be healed. As long as you let the disease stay, you just get sicker. Kira Bale, that British girl who started identifying as a boy and had all the blockers and surgery and now identifies as a woman and regrets her journey. She said the turning point in her life started when a white American female professor named Rachel, and I'm not sure how to pronounce her last name, Dole, like Dole Pineapples, Zal, Dozal. This woman was in the news quite a bit a few years ago. So when this white American female university professor started identifying as black, and Kira said, that just didn't make any sense to me. And she had to start thinking, honestly. And this is a quote. She said, I couldn't come up with a reason why being transgender was more valid than transracial. It's the start of a slow wake-up call. In other words, just because a white person wants to identify as a black person does not make them black. And Kira realized in the same way, just because a girl wants to identify as a boy doesn't make her a boy, nor does a boy who wants to identify as a girl make him a girl. Because the logic for one has to hold true for the other if the logic is true. And the logic doesn't hold true. But you see, false visions and false oracles don't care about that. After you examine your sin, you let God do some probing and you realize, you know, I've been going down the wrong path. What do you do? Well, you do what he says at the end of verse 40. You return to the Lord. You just come home. And here's the good thing about your God who every morning chooses to love you, what, what that means is if this is the morning you choose to come home, guess what? God's already chosen to love you when you do. <laughs> He's not going to decide after you show up. He's already chosen. I'm going to love you. Come home. I'm going to welcome you. Come home. I'm going to hug you. Come home. I'm going to forgive you. Come home. I'm going to welcome you. Come home. That's your God. He's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. There's not a sin you've committed he won't forgive. Not one. Come home. He chooses to love you. Does God take sin seriously? Yes. The nation of Israel found that out. Does God take sin seriously? 
Absolutely. All you have to do is look at the cross. See, God's already done the hardest part. Gave his son to die for you, to take your sin, all those choices, to take all of that and put it on himself and die in your place. Pay the penalty for your wrong, for your your sin. He's already done the harper. The, the forgiving you is easy compared to that. Come home. 